this morning that I'm not just preaching to everybody else. I'm trying to preach just to you individually, each and every one of you to get it down on the inside of your heart as you're remembering Christmas, as we're going through all this celebration and fanfare. Don't forget, there's been born to you a Savior, Christ the Lord. Amen. But if you look through the traditional Christmas carol, you'll notice something interesting. That Christmas songs say a lot about Jesus as a newborn king, but they don't say as much about Jesus as Savior. But I want you to understand the full extent of salvation this morning. The whole message that Jesus Christ was born a Savior and born a King. The two cannot be separated from each other. Hear me this morning. Jesus is the Savior because he is the King. And he is King because he is the Savior. Amen. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 in your Bible. Let's read some verses that maybe you don't associate with Christmas but I believe they tie in in a great way for it to get the full impact of the meaning of what we're celebrating every year and what we're remembering. Philippians chapter two. And let's read how Paul describes Jesus coming to earth. In verse five, look at what he says. And let, the word let there is to mean, it means allow it to be so. You know what goes into your mind? the only things you allow to enter there. We choose every day different things that we allow to enter. Every day, especially in our society and our culture today, we are bombarded with voices, opinions, viewpoints, coming from all different directions. And, and we decide what we want to let enter into our mind. And the, those things we let enter into our minds through what we hear, those things begin to condition the way we think and the way we perceive and understand and make our decisions concerning life. So Paul says this, let this mind be in you. Let this mind, this attitude allow, let it be so. This mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So what was his understanding? What type of mindset did he have? Watch it. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself, somebody say made himself. This is so powerful. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the fashion of a man. Think about that likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he what? Humbled himself and became. We're going to break this down just a little bit as we go through this. Became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And because of that, we have the next verse, verse 9. Watch this. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name. What a wonderful name it is. What a powerful name it is. We just sang it. The name of Jesus. Amen. And given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those in earth, and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So look at the bottom of the front page of your outline there. Now, what was Jesus before he came? And so I'm going to ask you just to get a little creative and a little imaginative in your thinking this morning, but we get a lot of different ideas about heaven. So let's go on a journey just for a minute, a journey that will take a bit, as I said, your imagination and wonder. I want you to picture heaven with me for a few minutes, 
Not man's idea of heaven that we have created in books and on TV and movies. I'm not talking about the perfect fishing hole, the perfect golf course where you shoot under par, the perfect basketball court where you make every basket. Whatever your interests are, likes are, whatever you think heaven might be, the perfect beach, the perfect sunset, where we go camping up on the coast. Man, I sit there at Patrick Point. We've going there for 28 years. I never get tired. It's one of the most beautiful places that I think on earth. I enjoy the coast. I enjoy the, the, the walking down the beach, the big agate beach, that big curve. It's just so beautiful. And every day, depending upon the weather and the marine layer or the sun, whatever, it's just a different picture. But every day, that picture is glory. But there's nothing compared to what heaven's going to be like or what heaven truly is. Think about it. So I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the real eternal dwelling place of Almighty God. Revelation 21 describes the beauty of what the new Jerusalem will be one day and what it will actually look like. John tries in his own, as much as possible, to describe its indescribable beauty by putting it in terms we can relate to. He described things like streets of gold, 12 gates made of one pearl each. I mean, lots of, I, that, the pearl's cool. I want to see the oyster. <laughs> How big's that oyster that can make a pearl? And the pearl's bigger than the gate because pearls are round. You got to hew the. That, huge. Amen. But so John trying to describe this. Foundations and walls constructed of every gemstone imaginable. What a wonderful place that God has prepared for us after the present heavens and earth are passed away. But think about something else. The beauty of that place isn't its focus. As a matter of fact, John uses those words to describe the new Jerusalem for a very specific reason. He's telling us that even the most beautiful, costly, and rare precious materials we can experience here on earth, those things are common compared to the real, true, and precious beauty we will experience there. The most precious thing you can imagine here on earth will barely be noticeable in the new Jerusalem. Why? Because it will be, we will be in the presence of true beauty. We will be in the presence of the triune God. See, heaven is glorious, but the glory of what we would think are the structure or the homes or the mansions or whatever you would think, or praise the Lord, we're dancing on streets of gold. We think about it when our loved ones go across over and stuff, and we think about all of that. But the glory of heaven is the presence of God. The glory of God is an unimaginable, beautiful thing. You see, in the Old Testament, People would, it says that, that when they came in and, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, it says that the priest couldn't stand to minister. And the word glory there is translated the weight of God. God's presence has a weight to it. And there are times that the presence of God comes upon people and people can't stand as they're prayed for, ministered to, and, and that. And so we, that's what we call falling it under the power and we see that. But, but the presence of God has a weight and you can only contain so much of his weight. So here the priests are in the temple and they can't even get up to minister and do their services. But think about this, when you get to heaven, you will no longer be encumbered by the weight of God. You'll be released into the glory of God. 
Amen, that weight lifted off because we're equipped to be in his presence. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And there are people, oh, the glory, the glory cloud came in. Let me just tell you, the glory of God is a little bit more than a cloud coming into a service. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Well, some, come on. I think Jamie had a great word. Sometimes we just live too far below and we think too far below what God has declared. Sometimes we just need to have that mind of Christ and see and take the limits off of our understanding. That's why Paul prayed, may God open the eyes of your understanding that we would see clearly and understand the fullness of all that he had. So watch this. The glory of God is an, inima- in, an unimaginable Beautiful thing. Now imagine willingly giving that up. Imagine somebody being there and willingly giving that up to come here. Imagine not only giving up the beauty of dwelling with God in God's glory, but giving up the fullest and most complete intimacy in a relationship that is possible. If you ever had to spend time away from your family or your children, you know how hard that can be. We think about the loss of a child or a spouse or a loved one, and we know how hard that is. But no matter how good our relationships are here, they are far from perfect. Now imagine, if you can, the most perfect, intimate relationship possible. Three perfect, infinite persons united fully and completely in one God. They are united so fully and completely that they are one complete and eternal essence. One God, three persons united in perfect relationship in one another. eternally, unbroken essence. Think about it. One God, three persons, united in a relationship with one another, eternally unbroken, unhindered, unchanged, unlimited, until one night in Bethlehem. When God sent his son, and a separation was made in that relationship, have your finger, or keep your finger there in Philippians, but just turn over to John chapter 17 with me just for a moment. Are you getting this this morning? John chapter 17. Verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the Son may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So not only did Jesus come, but the Father sent him, that relationship broken apart and severed, watch, Verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. In verse 5, he says this. And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you 
before the world was. So go back and think about that most intimate relationship of pure divine essence and God choosing to sever that relationship in his divine wisdom in such a way that he could send his son to become like fallen man, to take upon humanity, and even at a place to be able to turn his back on his son when he hung upon the cross. And for Jesus to really, for the first time, it's one thing that he could sense the Father's presence as he was here, the anointing of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. But at that moment when he became your sin and my sin, when he became sin on the cross, and he said, my Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? And he felt God turn away. And in that moment of separation from God, So amazing. Glorify me with the glory that I had together with yourself. Together with yourself. That I had in that relationship. Think about that. So amazing. Back in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, that Jesus did not consider it robbery in verse 6. He did not consider it something to be grasped or to be desperately held on to, to be equal with God. So he's not holding on to, I can't give this up. I wonder what we have. We come to Christ and we give our lives to Christ. But there's so much that we can't give up. There's so much that we hold on to. There's so much that we're unwilling to really let go in abandoning and giving our lives to him. But Jesus gave up that relationship with the Father, being one with the Father, that the only thing he had known for all of eternity, he gave that up to come for us. All the unimaginable beauty of dwelling in the glory of God, the perfectly complete and intimate Trinitarian relationship, Jesus said, I'm willing to let it all go to become your Savior and King. You say, Pastor, what are you preaching about this morning? I'm trying to tell you what Christmas is all about. It's not a Black Friday sale. It's not stuff. It's not all. It's, it's, it's not all. Uh, it's him. It's Jesus. And what he gave what, see, the spirit of Christmas is people, we get caught up in giving, but we forget. And sometimes we get a little too caught up in receiving. What'd you get me? See, I'm old enough, I don't need anything. I really don't. I don't, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. Because I think I get something more. Where do I put it? I take care. And then when am I going to use it? Amen? What do I do? It's just, it's stuff. Think, of, think about how connected we are to stuff that has no value, that decays, that rots, that breaks. And, 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 and in our modern age of technology, everything we make barely lasts five years today. How many still have a toaster that your mother had? How come they just can't make a toaster that lasts anymore? Are you listening to me? But we get so caught up in, in the spirit of the world and that, and we miss the truth of what this is all about. 
See, think about that. See, this is the complete opposite. What Jesus did, he made it, didn't consider it to be robbery. He didn't <laughs> value it to the, so to the degree that he couldn't let it go because this is what he knows. In God, the law of sowing and reaping works everywhere. It's an eternal principle. Jesus was willing to sow his life to receive you as his harvest. But the harvest wouldn't come. That's why John 12, 24 said, unless a grain, Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it is planted and if it dies, then it brings forth much fruit. And he was talking about his life being sown into this earth to bring about the harvest of the redemption of humanity. And so when God asks us to give and to sow, if you ever get a hold of that, anything God asks you to give, he's not trying to get something from you. He's inviting you to operate into a principle of the law of increase and multiplication that he has ordained for the universe to run by. Amen. Hallelujah. See, Satan said this. What did he do? He said, I will be like the most high. And out of his pride, he tried to grasp something that wasn't his. But Christ, out of his humility, thought it not robbery and willingly gave up what was rightfully his and his alone. From all eternity, Jesus was with God, was with God and was God. That's what that baby in the manger came from. So when we look at the Mary and Joseph in the manger, that baby she is holding came from the eternal presence of God in a one relationship with him. And I just think it's so amazing that God sent himself in such a way that now we can be in his son. So now if anybody is in Christ, so now that Jesus has gone back and become one with the Father, you are now in Christ. And so now you are in that intimate one relationship with him. You're not angels on the outside. God redeemed you in such a way that you come into this divine intimate essence with him. God. Well, I don't really know if I want to get saved. <laughs> All right. So how did Jesus come? How did he come? He made himself of no reputation, Paul says. You know, it literally means he emptied himself. He emptied himself. That's a hard thing for us to do is to empty ourselves. People live for recognition today, for approval, for validation. Think about Jesus when he would minister to people. He would heal people. The man at the pool of Siloam, he gets healed. He says, man, just don't tell anybody. I'm not, look what Jesus, he says, I'm not here to draw attention to myself. He would deliver, he says, go out, don't tell anybody. And, I mean, the man from the tombs of Gadara, he sent him out and said, go tell everybody what great things have done for you. But almost all the time, he'd say, don't tell anybody what I've done. I'm not here to get recognition. I'm not here, watch, I'm not here for myself. The hardest thing for you and I to do is to get over ourself. How many of you have ever had somebody tell you that and you really appreciated it? Get over yourself. Amen. 
But that's our biggest huggle because somebody didn't accept it. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. And, and even when we come into church, one of the greatest things about being a pastor is how do you make everybody feel like they're special? Can you just look up here? You're all special. I love you all. Now, don't tell me you never heard love in this church. <laughs> well, I, I went to that I just didn't feel any love. Well, okay. You've now been hugged. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. But think, but, but see, because I'm focused, if we're focused on ourselves, then I, what we're saying, I didn't get the recognition I feel I deserve there. They didn't give me what I feel I'm worth there. Jesus emptied the king who created everything, the one in whom all, Paul said, that, that in him all things were created, by him all things were created, and in him all things consist. He says, I don't consider that anything to hold on to. I, I, I give up that title, that position, that power to become just as you are so I can redeem you through my life back to the Father into that joint union of eternal essence with us. Glory to God. Oh, man, isn't God good? To watch it. So that he made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. Amen. But I want you, what did he empty himself of? Think about it. He emptied himself of his privileges. Amen. Think, how, how does that go over in our entitlement society? You know, everybody's entitled to something. Amen. There, there's a big thing about pronouns today. I, I think we ought to start an adjective movement. If you're going to acknowledge me, my favorite adjectives are handsome, beautiful, intelligent, and extremely humorous. So remember that when you address me. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But think about this. Jesus willingly chose to empty himself of his position in heaven. He willingly chose to empty himself of his dwelling place in the glory of God. Here, Father, glorify me again together with you. He willingly chose to empty himself of his completely intimate relationship as God who became man. He willingly chose to limit his divine attributes. He limited his omnipresence. He was no longer everywhere at once. He limited his omnipotence. He became tired and hungry according to the limits of flesh. He limited his omniscience while he was in flesh. He didn't know everything because he had willingly emptied himself. He did not know the day of his return. God the Son, God incarnate, God in flesh was still God, but he chose to empty himself. He chose to make himself of no reputation. He left his rightful place in heaven and traded it for a dirty, smelly barn. He traded being clothed in the glory of God for being clothed in scraps of material we politely call swaddling clothes poetically called swaddling clothes. He traded his omnipotence for the utter helplessness of a baby. He traded his omniscience for the mind of a baby. He traded his omnipresence for only being moved when someone picked him up. The one who spoke the universe into existence had to learn how to talk. The one who feels everything with his presence had to learn how to walk. 
the one who sustains creation with the power of his might, had to build the strength even to hold up his head. He felt pain. He felt hunger. He felt thirst. He was hot at times. He was cold at times. He was tired. He wept. He was even tempted. Hebrews 4, verse 15 is there in your outline. It says, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities or weaknesses, but when all was in all points tempted like as we are. He came down to that level that every he could understand and able to comfort each one of us because he's felt what we have felt. Did that mean that the baby in the manger was no longer God? Most definitely not. What it means is God, the son, didn't selfishly grasp onto his place in heaven in the presence and the glory of the Trinity. He emptied himself of that position in play. He made himself of no reputation by limiting, him, by limiting his divine attributes and became as we are. Still fully God, but limited himself to being fully man at the same time. When you look at the nativity scene, that's what the baby in the manger came from what he came to be. Think about that. So as Mary is holding Jesus, think about where he came from and think about what he came to be for you and me. They get ready to close. Why would he do that? Why would God choose to do that? See, Christ did everything. Verse eight, it says this, chapter two, verse eight. And he being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Somebody say became Think about that. He became obedient. That's amazing that Paul declares it like that, that he became. He wasn't forced to do it. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. See, Christ did everything that he did for one purpose. He willingly left his glorious place in heaven for one reason. He emptied himself and became man for one reason. Was it to die? Ultimately, yes. But it was really more than that, wasn't it? Because if that was the only thing, he could have just appeared on the scene right before he was crucified. Have you ever thought about when God formed Adam and Eve? They, they were fully grown. He didn't form Adam as a toddler or that. No, Adam was, was fully formed man and, and began operating fully formed. Every animal that was formed with, was fully formed in that. Everything, my, my pastor said like this, God made the earth old. It means he made every, everything fully formed. It didn't, he, didn't, he didn't plant the earth and start out with a little tree. When he put trees on there, they, they were full of grown trees. Every plant, everything was, was fully formed. Amen. I, and I like this. When I think about this, to, to just keep that thought in mind. Because the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. So in you is a new creation. And the Lord says that we can either desire to, to be like babe and just grow up as babe, or else we can start seeing ourselves fully formed in him. That's why Paul said in Galatians 4.19, I'm praying for you until Christ is fully formed in you. And if I ever see that, that, that there's a fully formed Christ on the inside of me that wants to live his life through me, that transforms everything. I'm no longer considering life by my outward externals and my weaknesses and my limitations. I want to learn to live by the fully formed, redeemed, 
deliverer that's on the inside of me. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So watch what he did. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> he said he humbled himself. So he could have just appeared on the scene right before he was crucified. What is the main focus of this verb? Yes, Jesus humbled himself. That's important. But it's not the focus. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. And that's important, but it's not the focus. The focus of this verse is why he humbled himself, why he went to the cross, because he was obedient. He was obedient to the will of the Father. You remember that time right before he was betrayed and was led away to be crucified. He's in the garden and he prayed, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what? My will, but yours be done. Come on, this is so hard for us. In our world today of identity and recognition and personal value, it's so hard for us to lose our identity and give up our will to accept God's will for our life. But it can be done. Why? Because God graces us to live for him. Amen? So watch it. So look what it said. But he humbled himself to the, he humbled the will of his humanity and subjected it to the will of the Father, just as we must do. Let me take you back. The Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the earth. And, and there's a great dichotomy that people struggle with and religion gets freaked out about if you talk too much about the humanity of Christ, that you strip away his deity. But Jesus had to come as man, live as man, and do everything. He, he had to give up all of his divine privileges and authority to deal with everything just as you, yet without sin. What made him able to do that is that he wasn't born of the seed of Adam. He was born of the seed of his father in heaven. He didn't have fallen nature. He was born with divine nature, and he lived that out. And that's why you and I, now why? That's why it's so important. I hope you get that. That's why the Bible says that you and I are now born again by an incorruptible seed, which is the word of God, so that when you and I believe and receive God's word planted on the inside of us, we become partakers of the very same life that was planted in Mary's womb and produced the Son of God. You are now a partaker of the divine nature. Your old man has passed away. All things have become new. You are a living, recreated, divine being in Jesus Christ. Uh, Merry Christmas. Amen. Jesus lived his life on earth in perfect submission and obedience to the Father. Even when that obedience led him to death, even when it not only led him to death, but led him to the most cruel, inhumane death you can even imagine. The Roman crucifixion. I remember years ago when the Passion of the Christ came out. No artist has ever done as close a depiction to what Jesus endured as that movie portrayed. To show him being beaten with that cat of nine tails his flesh ripped off, the blood and just the, the scourging and the torment, and then being made to carry that cross and going through all of that. And probably one of my most favorite scenes in that movie is when he's carrying the cross and he falls down and the cross falls on him and Mary runs to him. And he tells her, he says, Mama, I'm making all things new. 
I'm making all things new. But this is the only way to do it. I couldn't stay where I am. What? I couldn't hold on to that. We knew that man would have to be redeemed. And so we made the decision. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit made the decision before the foundation of the world to redeem humanity. And before he came, he said, I will go. And I know that if I go, I know what I'm going to have to endure. But I love what Jesus said when he stood before Pilate. He said, I, I could ask to be delivered from this. But it's for this purpose that I came into the earth. So I chose to endure that for I, the gift. And then when you think about it, I always remember what he said to the woman at the well. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, church, for unto you this day, the city of David, Bethlehem, has been born to you. The gift of God is to each and every one of you a Savior. He said, if you knew the gift of God, you would ask Him, and He would give you living water. So Jesus lived His life on earth all the way in submission, all the way to the cross. You see, the Father's will is made clear in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. If you take that, it's the same life with him that he had with the Father. You and I will be glorified with him and with the Father together. Hallelujah. God's love for you is so overwhelming that the Father willed for the Son to die so you and I wouldn't have to. Jesus did everything he did out of obedience to the Father. He emptied himself. He was born of a virgin named Mary in that lonely stable. For 33 years, he lived a perfect sinless life. He willingly allowed himself to be beaten, bruised, cursed, mocked, hung on a tree. And out of obedience, all out of obedience to the Father, all because God loved you so much, that he wanted you to be reconciled to himself. He came to be fully man and everything that that entails. And he came to be obedient to the Father, even though that obedience meant his death upon the cross. Because Jesus came to be a Savior. So what's the result of his coming? Look at verse 9. It says that, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Because of that, the Father has bestowed on him ultimate glory. Because of his perfect obedience for all of eternity, Jesus Christ is exalted. His name is above every name that ever has been or ever will be. From swaddling clothes, hay and feeding troughs, to dirty feet, sandals, and nowhere to lay his head, to a crown of thorns, humiliating nakedness and a cross, to being seated at the right hand of the Father, a place of honor, a place of exaltation, a place of glory. Because of his obedience, the baby in the manger is highly exalted by the Father throughout all of eternity. 
That's the Father's response. But creation has a response too. We see it in Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10. Look what it's there, verses 10 to 11. But at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Christ came the first time, he emptied himself. He came in humility. He came in probably the most humble form possible. He came as a baby in a manger. But this is also, we have been in what we call the Advent season. The four weeks leading up to the birth of Christ is the four weeks that remember that he's promised to come again. The second coming, the second Advent. Christmas is the first Advent, but how many know we're looking for the second one? John 3, 17 says that God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. As I close, Kevin, if you could just please join me at the keyboard, please. So how has the world received him? Isaiah 53, 3 says this. You won't find this. This is no longer in your notes. It says this. He was despised and rejected of men. He was despised and rejected of men. The one who gave up all that to come for us. The world has despised him. Think of how the world mocks him how the world down through all these centuries has mocked the greatest expression of love that the world has ever known. He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. is a man of sorrow. A king is a man of grief. What king in this world that it just doesn't fit? And we hid as it were our faces from him. And he was a despised. We esteemed him not. The word esteem means to regard or place value. We didn't regard him as value. The world doesn't see his value. But if you ever hear and you receive the truth that unto you has been born a Savior, and you open your heart and you receive him as your Savior find out how valuable he is. So that's what Isaiah said. But is it any different today? Does the world receive him any differently today? How about you? How about you watching online? I'm so thankful we can watch online. Please don't take this wrong. But we have a hard time even 
finding our way. If we, if just an excuse, I don't need to go. I don't need to be with other believers. I just, I, I can tune in. Instead of regarding the value of the body that he's made us a part of and having a desire to assemble and be a part of that. Do you receive Jesus any differently today? Have you hidden your face from him? How have you esteemed him? Does he receive what he is worth? You see, Paul says there will be a difference one day because the way Jesus came the first time and the way he's coming back are two different events. When he comes back, it's going to be described in these verses by Paul. This is what it says. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. No options. People today, in the world today, we well, you know, I don't believe, no, that's all right. You will bow and you will confess of things on the earth, in heaven, and under the earth. Every person, every person who willfully and boldly and adamantly rejects him will bow and will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because the baby that came in a manger was born unto you a savior, but because he was born a savior, he was also born a king. And when the king comes back, everyone will bow. Each person here this morning will bow their knee before Christ. Every person watching online or anywhere, listening to a gospel message anywhere around the world will bow. And we will publicly confess with your mouth. You will say, well, I, 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 I just want to be quiet. I just want to, me and my Lord, just, I have this private relationship with him. No, you will publicly confess. Jesus, you are Lord. Every person will confess and declare publicly that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. That's a fact. There's no doubt about it. And on that day, there will be no choice. Free will will be over. You will declare he is Lord. But by God's grace, we all have a choice as to how and when you will do that. So our question is, what will be my response today? Because the baby born in the manger who came as a savior as our soon and coming king. Will you stand with me this morning? I don't know about you, but I get overwhelmed when I think about God's love for me. When I think about what he would give up to redeem me. And then I get convicted when I think about the things that I try to hold on to. 
saying yes to Him. The things that get in the way of being completely surrendered to Him. Do you just bow your heads with me this morning? Hear the announcement again. For unto you today in the city of David, in Bethlehem, there had been born to you a Savior, Christ the Lord. A deliverer who's anointed, commissioned with all authority to set you free. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm not asking you to raise your hand or do anything. If you're here today, and you need to humble yourself, empty yourself, and say yes to Him. In giving your life to Him in the same way that He gave His life for you. Then I'm asking you in just a moment to move right from where you are. The Holy Spirit's pulling on your heart. You know And you need just to bow your knee at this altar this morning. Say, Lord, here's my life. Look up here just for a moment. This last week, December 13th, marked 45 years of my life that I bowed my knee to the Lord. just in a prayer room nobody prayed with me I just knew I needed a savior I'd ruined my life just stupid choices and I knew I needed a savior and that thought that he would forgive me I had no idea what would happen. I just went in that prayer room and I knelt down and I asked for his forgiveness. I prayed just a silly prayer. I said, Lord, I give my life to you. I'll live for you the rest of my life. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Lord, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll be whatever you ask me to be. I'll say whatever you ask me to say for you. But I will live for you the rest of my life. And I found out the God who gave up everything to become like me, to redeem me, was willing to do so. He gave me new life. Maybe you're here today and I just feel, felt this week that God wanted you to know 
that there's been born to you a Savior. And sometimes we get, please don't take this wrong, we get almost saved. But to say, God, I give my life to you because you gave up everything to come here for me to redeem me back to yourself in the most amazing, intimate relationship I could ever imagine. The term wholeness means, in the Greek, it means nothing between. Jesus came to make you completely whole with him and have nothing between you and him in relationship. So I'm inviting you, if you're here, people say, well, listen, I said, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess publicly that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I'm going to tell you, something happens. I walked out of that prayer room. I was walking down the side aisle of our church and my pastor met me. And I didn't have to tell him that I prayed anything. He just looked at me. He said, oh, son, I can tell. You've been drinking at the well. You received the gift. He said, if you knew the gift, then he would give you. And I want to tell you, there's living water available to you today. If you're Christian life and you're just at that place of struggle, and just how do I get over? But maybe today, this Christmas season, you would receive him completely as your savior. Not satisfied with almost enough. But you're raised, Lord, I give you my life. I'll live for you for the rest of my life. If that's you, would you just move right now? Would you just say yes to him? He's just here. He's here for you. He's here for you. I'll bow my knee to him, Jesus. I'll confess you before men. You said if I wouldn't be ashamed of you, you would declare me before the Father. Just move. Just move. He's pulling you into that relationship with him. Divine love is reaching out to you today. Thank you, Lord.